about a hallelujah? Are you here to praise God today and hear from his word and be challenged so you can go from this place to affect a world with the gospel of Christ? Isn't he worthy of praise today? Let's bow together, could we, and ask him to bless us. Father, we need your help today. Your word is powerful. It's sharp. It pierces our hearts and our souls. And Lord, what we want today is to leave this place different than when we came in more in love with Jesus than when we walk through those doors, walking out into a world to affect it with the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, you alone are worthy of praise. Would you remind us of that continually? Because we we live in a world that wants to get praise for itself, and we want to live different than that. So help us to direct all of our attention to you in this hour and in the, the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you go ahead and grab a seat. It's good to be back with you today. Uh, thanks, Phil, for letting me come back and preach here at my favorite church and to be involved again with the people I love so dearly. Sorry we were not here much, but welcome to retirement, huh? They said when, when I retired, we want you to go see your kids. The only problem is I don't see my kids very often. I'm traveling all over, over the place other than that, but I'm so glad to be back with you today and share God's word. We live in a busy day and age, don't we? Everything is, is prying at our lives for attention. It just seems to be ripping us apart at times. And, and at times it's like we don't have any time for ourselves. We don't have time for anything else. We're just on the go, on the go, on the go. I mentioned to you last week our daughter and son-in-law and their kids moved back in. And I'll tell you what, I, I thought I had life pretty good and I did. But now it's like good night. Everybody's coming and going all hours of the night and all hours of the day. And I'm like, ah! And I watched them go back and forth, and I'm like, did I ever do all that? And my wife said, uh, yeah. Welcome to raising kids. Welcome to life in the fast lane. And it seems as we go through this, that as much as we love Jesus, it's sometimes like we don't have much time for Jesus. Isn't that true? Oh, boy. You know, it always does that. It gets so silent. Okay, we're in church. You can be honest, okay? Even, even if it hurts, we can be honest, But it seems like Jesus is squeezed out a lot of times because everything else is vying for our attention. So how do we live in the midst of a world that wants us to do everything but love Jesus? How do we live in a world that is prying us away from him all of the time, not through bad things? I'm convinced that most of the things in your life are not bad things. Is that true? It's good stuff, but it's just robbing us of time spent with Jesus. I want you to turn your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm 63, and I want you to look at a passage that I need all of the time in my life. I need to come back to this often, because sometimes my soul gets a little parched. Does yours get a little parched? A little bit dry, a little bit in need of a touch from the Almighty. In Psalm 63, David, we believe, is running away from his son Absalom, who's pursuing him. And he goes out into the desert place where there's absolutely nothing. And if you've ever been to Israel, when you hit that desert, it's barren. It's empty. There's just a bunch of caves to live in. And that's where David is right now. Can you imagine how alone and betrayed he feels? His son has gone in and has led the nation away from him. He's the king. 
But his son says, no, listen to me. Don't listen to David. And David leaves the city. In fact, somebody's even casting stones at him when he leaves the city. How would you like to have been that guy when David comes back into the city? He's all alone. And that's where we find him in Psalm 63. Here's the scripture. It says this. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given to the power of the sword. There shall be a portion of jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Now do you want to say hallelujah? hallelujah. We have an incredible God, do we not? Amen. Who just longs for intimacy with you and with me. David could no longer go to the place of worship. He had built the sanctuary for the the, the, um, the ark and he couldn't go there any longer so he's this barren land and I want to submit to you that if you're a barren today in your soul you're not just quite in sync with God you're not alone the majority I want to say all of us but I'll just back that off a little bit the majority of us will go through times of dryness in our lives where it seems like we're not connecting with God where Jesus seems like he's far away from us and we have this dullness in our spiritual lives. It's because our souls are parched and we need refreshment from God. When we built the new church here, I asked that one of the things that happened is that in my office back there, I have two offices. One, an outer office where I could do all the executive stuff of the church, the administration stuff, and an inner office where I could go and be alone with God and study. And one of the other things I wanted in there was a, a recliner, not to take naps, but to sit in once in a while and just meditate on who God is and what God is doing. And I want to submit to you, when your soul is parched, you need a little time alone with God away from everything else in the world where it's just you and God. Where he can begin to minister to your soul and you can begin to cry out to God and say, God, you are my God. And that's the cry, if you will, as we start this morning, the cry of a parched soul. Oh God, you are my God. Notice with me what he does here. He says, you are my God. He's calling the true God of Genesis chapter 1 his God. You say, where do you get that? 
Well, there's two separate words used for God here that our English language does not give to us. The first God, O God, O Elohim, you are my God. O Elohim is the word used for God in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. It is a singular yet plural word. And you say, well, don't get too deep. I won't, okay? It's kind of where the embracing of the Trinity comes in, the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Here's how it's portrayed in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Then God, Elohim, said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Every time I read that, I said, here's God talking to himself. There's nobody else. God said, let us, let us this triune God make man in our image and after our likeness. So, O Elohim, this God who's always existed, you are my God. The word there is El. You are almighty. You are strong. O Elohim, you are my almighty God. Isn't that great? And David wants us to begin crying out, God, you are the almighty in my personal life. You are the all-powerful God, the God of all strength. It's the true God, the almighty God, that is David's, watch this, his personal God. So let's stop right here and just ask you a question. Is God your personal God? This God of the Bible, is he the God you worship and the God that you adore? David would have no substitutes. God, you are my God. He would settle for nothing less, watch this, than a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen to me. You got married, many of you got married in this room, right? Right? How many married people are in this room? Okay? And I'm going to try and single anybody out. When you got married... I, I used to love to do weddings because these couples, they were so in love. And I'm like, get a grip. <laughs> You'll know you're in love when 50 years later you're still loving, adoring, and loving to be around that person that you married. That love deepens and grows, right? Am I the only one? I mean, my wife and I are going to celebrate 50 years of marriage coming up in May. So I've got this on my brain, okay? I better be loving her more than the day I married her. Because I know her better. Listen to me. You should be loving Jesus more today than the day you received Jesus as your Savior. No substitutes. A desire for intimacy with the Almighty. So let's not shove him off in the corner anymore because we're too busy for him. He is the most important person in our lives. Can I get a witness to that, please? So let's not give him the leftovers. Let's not give him the scraps. Let's give him the best of our lives because he deserves it, does he not? He is our God. David earnestly sought intimate fellowship with God. And he was going to do whatever was necessary for him to remain close to God. C.S. Lewis put it this way. The psalmist had an appetite for God. And I think we need to pray, God, give me an appetite for you. Give me a desire for you. 
What's your favorite candy? Reese's peanut butter cups? Snickers. There's my friend. I love a good Snickers. How many friends do I have like that? Man, oh man, oh man, I can refuse most candy. But when you put a Snickers bar in front of me, listen, I have an appetite for Snickers. Halloween candy when the kids were little was not safe with Snickers. But I need an appetite for God that does not go away. So the next time you're going to devour your favorite candy that you have an appetite for, your favorite piece of pie, your fa- whatever it is, let it be a trigger in your mind saying, God, do I have the same appetite for you that I have for this thing right here? That we might have an appetite for the Almighty. We need people today who will, who, who will pursue God with great diligence and rise above the mediocrity that is in Christianity and is so prevalent today. I don't want to just be an average Christian. I want to be a pursuer of the Almighty. I don't want to go through the motions. I want God to be my intimate friend. And I think it's something the older you get, the more you desire and crave that. It's just an intimacy with the Almighty. How does he express it then? He said, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. Watch this. My soul thirsts for you. McLaren said, My soul thirsts for you. That is religion. There's a great deal more in Christianity than longing, but there is no Christianity without it. I'm thirsty for you, God. I need you. Nothing else can quench the thirst of my soul but you and you alone. I'm done with anything that doesn't bring me that satisfaction completely. You see... David just didn't want religion. He wanted God. And he knew what God wanted. He penned it in Psalm 51. He said this, You will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. What does God want from me? God wants a humility in my life that will bow before him and say, you are God Almighty. And I am your child and I desire you more than anything else. I am thirsty for you, God. Have you ever been so parched you just wanted to drink and drink and drink that water? If you're like me, you ever been so thirsty in the summertime, you just wanted ice cold watermelon over and over and over again? To quench the thirst. And David said, in my soul, there's this thirst for you, and it cannot be quenched by anything but God. God, I'm thirsty for you. Notice then he goes on and he said, I desire you. He said, in a dry and weary land where there is no water, I desire you. He said, my flesh faints for you in verse one. 
The word flesh there stands for the whole nature of mankind. He said, everything within me is fainting for you. All my passions and my desires are for you, God. David had experienced the dryness of soul. And he longed for God with his whole being. Fainting says to me, without you, God, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. When is the last time you had such a desire for God that you felt that you were going to die without him and without a close, intimate fellowship with him? That life was just not living without God and how close he is to you. Could I submit to you that this is where God wants all of us to be? God, without you, it's just, it's meaningless. It's empty. My soul faints for you, for, for that intimate relationship with you. So what I'm submitting to you today at the beginning of this is God wants us to get to the point where we really desire him. Can you get there with me today? No, really, can you get there with me today? God, I want you. And I want that intimacy with you. I want to be somebody who knows you as a friend, that knows you as a loving father, that knows you as the almighty who's so intimate with you, I know what you desire in my personal life. God, I'm longing for you. I'm desiring you. If that's where you are, then fasten your seatbelts because we're going to go through the next little bit and we're going to give you the cure for the parched soul. If I desire God, what do I do that begins to satisfy my soul with who God is? Here's the first one. Take a fresh look at God. Take a fresh look at God. Notice with me in verse 2. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your, your power and your glory. David is saying, listen, I am amazed at your power and glory. I'm amazed at who you are. He beheld his glory in the sanctuary that he had built and he longed to see that power and that glory in the wilderness. He needed God to be close to him. So what are you facing in your life that says, God, I just need your power and I need your glory and I need to see you in all of your power and your glory? I think our nation needs that today, don't you? God, show us your power and show us your glory and get our eyes off from us again and back onto you. So I encourage you, if you're a little parched and a little dry in your soul, take a step back today. Go sit someplace and say, God, I just want to see you again, your power, your glory, and be convinced, as in verse 1, that you are God Almighty powerful God. Second thing you need to do is immerse yourself in God's love. Notice what he says in verse 3. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. 
David knew of God's love, his, his mercy, if you will, his favor. He knew that personally. You see, when we come to Jesus, we know that, don't we? Remember how clean you felt when you asked Jesus into your life? Okay, I think we're, you know, you had an extra hour of sleep, but, you know. <laughs> Do you remember how clean you felt when you met Jesus? You remember how much you loved Jesus for saving your soul from, from hell? You remember that? He wants you to never get over it. He wants you to be overwhelmed with his love that, that, that raptured your soul from, from sin and from death and from the penalty of that death of separation from God. You see, David valued God's love so much that he viewed God's love, did you see it there, as better than life itself. Well, I want to get there, don't you? I love life. Does anybody else in here love life? Amen. I have a hat that says, life is good. God is good. His love is incredible. And I want to be where I have his love, and it's more valuable to me than my life itself. Life wasn't even desirable for David without God's love. Because David had discovered how much God loved him. He would not keep his lips from bringing praise to the Almighty. I was thinking this morning, I've been so privileged to know so many godly men in my life. I, I just am blessed beyond measure with the men who have poured into my life over the years. One of them, you wouldn't know his name, most of you in here. He was a pastor in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I remember him as growing up. Bill Coonley was his name. I remember going to Bill's funeral. I not only got the joy of knowing him growing up, I got the joy to know him as a, as a pastor back and forth, and it was so neat. And the pastor who did his funeral, Ed Fuller, said, to know Bill Coonley was to know his friend, because you couldn't get into a conversation with Bill Coonley without meeting his friend, Jesus. Boy, isn't that great? Wonderful. Isn't that great? It is said of Martin Luther that if you had a conversation with Martin Luther, you couldn't tell whether he was talking to you or talking to God. He was that intimate with the Almighty. These men were immersed in the incredible love of God. And they didn't want to live life without God. And they knew that life itself was summed up in who God was and his love for them. So if your soul is parched today, let me ask you to go on a journey. I want you to go on a journey of exploring the depths of God's love for you. Phil read this verse a couple, these verses a couple weeks ago, but it's in this Ephesians 3, 17 to 19, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Watch this, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. You want intimate fellowship with the Almighty? Get to know his love for you. It is immense. So 
someday take a vacation and go stand at the shore of the ocean and pretend yourself in the middle of that ocean just jumping in and going as far down as you can go and picture that as being surrounded by the incredible love of the Almighty for you. And your soul will begin to well up in incredible praise to him for loving somebody like you. Whenever I stop and think about the love of God, I think, God, how can you love somebody like me? I mean, I still do dumb things. Anybody else do dumb things in life? I still sin sometimes. And I think, God, man, I've walked with you for almost 60 years. And I still do this dumb stuff? How can you still love me? And he still does. And that propels me to love him even more for loving somebody like me. Your soul parts this morning. Immerse yourself in the love of God for you. How about this one? Focus on praising God in verse 4. So I will bless you as long as, you're li- as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Hey, could I, could I give you just a subtle message? It's probably with a two-by-four, but I'll give you a subtle message. Get your eyes off yourself and your situation and onto God and all that he is doing. We look at ourselves and we get filled with despair. Get your eyes off God and you'll begin to bless him as long as you live because I'll tell you something about my God. He is incredible. And he will do incredible things in your life and in my life. Ellsworth said in his commentary, the more occupied we are with God, the more bearable our trials and difficulties would be. Doesn't it seem like you're going to get swept under the sea of trouble sometimes? He said, get your eyes off off yourself, get them on God, and your trials will be bearable. Why? Because you know God's right there with you. He's helping you. David knew how much God loved him, and that would bring him praise for as long as he lived. Now, as I said last week, you don't have to be a great singer to bring praise to God. Aren't you thankful for that, those of us who can't sing? Man, I listen to these people up here and I go, whew. Yep, that ain't me. I got to tell you a little secret. Cody, Cody, listen, they said I could have a microphone and sing with them today. You would not have wanted to hear that. You would have been, what on earth is wrong with that coming out of the front of the auditorium? That doesn't mean I can't praise God. Doesn't mean I can't praise God. These lips are meant as a believer to bring praise to the Almighty. To direct the attention of people to the Almighty because of all that he has done for me. Now the next one gets a little touchy for true Baptists. How many of you raised in a church that said, don't raise your hands? Oh, come on, you can do it. Good God, I wish I'd never been taught that. Because now I feel like when I raise my hands, everybody stares at me like, what's he doing? He said, I will lift up my hands to you. Now, what does that mean? Does it mean, oh, yeah, I like that song, woo, woo, woo. No, 
That's sometimes what we do. Yeah, 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 I like that song. No, not what it means. 1 Timothy 2.8 says, I desire then that in every place men, do you hear that men? Men should what? Pray, lifting holy hands without anger and quarreling. When we lift hands to God in prayer and in praise, it represents purity in our lives. It represents a recognition of God's greatness. It's a plea for God to come and be present with us and to focus our attention on God. So let me ask you a question. Is it right to lift hands in praise to God? Now, that's hard for a guy who was raised in a Baptist church that you didn't do that. I preached on this passage at a senior advance, well, senior retreat. Seniors don't advance. They can't go that fast. <laughs> <laughs> at a senior retreat recently. And we got all done, and I said, okay, let's do it. And I even raised my hands during the song service. And all these other old people did too. And it was a beautiful scene as they understood. I'm raising hands that are pure to the almighty God. To concentrate on him. To ask him to come and join me in my praise to him. We need, my friends, to focus on praising God. Your soul a little parched? Here's a tough one. Be satisfied with God. Look at that in verse 5. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Having this intimacy with God would bring satisfaction to David's soul, just like being satisfied after a great meal. There would be nothing else that he wanted. I can almost guarantee how Thanksgiving is going to go at our house before it ever happens. There will be this wonderful meal that's cooked. And all 29 of us will be gathered at our house this Thanksgiving. It will be sheer bedlam. And I'll pray. And we'll eat. And we will sit around the tables and begin with the youngest one there who has to give a praise to God for something this year that they're thankful for. And my little Jackson will probably say, he's four, will probably say, dinosaurs. It's okay. It's okay. And we'll work our way around. And we'll give thanks again to God. And my wife will say, anybody ready for dessert? And we'll go, no, not yet. Why? Because we are satisfied. We don't need anything else right 
Now, give us 45 minutes and we'll be after the pie. Not now. That's what David is saying right here. God, when I meet with you, my soul is satisfied. Only, listen, only can it be of, a, of God can it be said. When I have God, I have enough. Everything else falls short of complete satisfaction. Men, can I talk to you for a minute? Do you like that new car smell? Hey, hey, wives, if you'd start wearing that all the time, your husband would never leave your side. <laughs> There's just something about the smell of a new car. I don't know why that isn't a constant air fragrance out there. Must be a sabotage by the car manufacturer, so we keep buying new cars. But you know what happens to that new car? It gets dirty, and it gets dented, and it gets miles on it, and pretty soon you're like, time to get a new one. Why? You're not satisfied with this one anymore. As much as you were satisfied at the beginning, remember, this is the car I've always wanted. It'll wear off. But never, ever with God. We can be completely satisfied with him. I wrote this in my notes, and it's so sobering to me. Many times we want what God can give us rather than wanting God himself. Do you ever listen to our prayers? We think God is a, is a genie in the sky to grant our every wish. And he has told us to ask. I don't want to diminish that, okay? But it's not the stuff that God can give us. It's God who satisfies. It's God who makes the difference. John Piper said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Isn't that a great quote? He's most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Too often we want Christ and something more. But God wants us to be satisfied with him regardless if we had anything else. So I have to ask myself a question, and it's a tough question to ask. And I don't think I always pass the test. If everything in life was stripped away from me and all I had was Christ, would I be content and satisfied? If everything else was stripped away, would I be content and satisfied? Some of you have been put to that horrible, horrible test of your spouse dying. It rips your soul apart, doesn't it? But I'm so glad the testimony of so many of you have been and to encourage my heart is that but God has entered in. And my soul has been satisfied. If everything was stripped away, could I be satisfied with Jesus? Now, on the flip side of that, aren't you glad he gives us more in life? 
So many things to richly enjoy. He's a good, good father, is he not? But I need to get the core of it. Is it the stuff or is it Jesus that I'm really after in life? We need to learn what David learned. Psalm 16, verse 11 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Isn't that a great verse? Hey, life group, mark that down and, and digest that in your life group. That's where I want to be. It's not in all the stuff. It's the pleasures of God are, are, are what I'm seeking, and that's in that personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Here's the next thing. Meditate on God in verse 6. He said, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. Before he slept and throughout the restless night, David would meditate on God. Instead of being troubled by anxious thoughts and fears in the night. Don't you hate those? Man, it seems like your problems just loom so big in the night. Instead of doing that, David was going to meditate on the greatness and on the faithfulness, on the love and the mercy and the grace and the kindness of God. Wouldn't that be a whole lot better to sleep on than your troubles? Again, it's getting our eyes off us, getting them on God. So when you're having those restless nights and the fears come upon you of, am I going to be able to make my mortgage? Am I going to be able to pay for the kids' food, clothes, whatever it might be? God, my problems are overwhelming me right now. God, you are faithful. You promised to never leave me, never forsake me. You promised to meet every need that I have according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And start meditating on those things. He said, in the night, I'm going to meditate on who you are. One more thing on this meditation on God. It would be good for us to just sit and think about God from time to time and not be concerned about anything else. Listen to me. We live in a noise-filled world, don't we? Turn off the music. Turn off the television. And go someplace quiet and just sit and meditate on God. Let him fill the longing of your soul. If you're wondering what to do, pick up the Bible and go read some of the Psalms and think about the greatness of God. I shared with you last week, I think it was, that every once in a while I just, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Come, let us exalt his name together. Oh God, you are my God. Begin to think about those things and let the Spirit of God direct you into worship of the Almighty that fills that longing in your soul. So I encourage you this week sometime, find some place to go and just sit and think about God. Now, man, we're good at that, just sitting and thinking, or just at least just sitting. Because it was shown to me sometime in a study that women's brains are like spaghetti. Everything's interwoven together. Everything in life is connected. Not men, we have boxes. We want to think about something, we pull out the box, we think about it, put it back, and get the next box out. And by the way, we do have a nothing box. It's real. 
real. That's why men can go out and fish and not catch anything and have a great time. They got their nothing box out. So wives, when, when, when you go to your husband and you say, what are you thinking about? He says, nothing, believe him. Okay? But here's what I want you to do, men. I want you to go sometime this week and sit down and pull out your God box. Spend some time just thinking about God and how much he loves you and what he's done for you and how he longs for you in intimate fellowship. Ladies, I don't know how that spaghetti thing works. But get alone with God. Begin to think about him, meditate upon him. Remember God's help in the past in verse 7. Some of you are wondering, we'll never get out of here. We will. You have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. David will remember all the times in the past that God had helped him. Against Goliath, against Saul, against the bear, against the lion. And so David had confidence because God showed up in the past. God's going to show up again. Underneath God's protection, David would sing for joy. So even when the storms of life are blowing around you, you can sing for joy because of the presence and the protection of your great God. Boy, do we need that in today's day and age. If you look at the news, it is flat out depressing. Aren't you glad we got a God who's above all that? Determined to remain close to God in verse 8. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Watch this. David would adhere himself to God and would not let him go. He's like if you have Velcro, and he's Velcroed himself to God and saying, nothing's going to pry me away from him. He's like that dryer sheet that clings to your clothes when you pull it out. I'm clinging to God, and I am not letting go. David understood what God wanted. And now God in the New Testament gives an invitation to all of us. He says in James chapter 4, verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. If you haven't been paying real close attention, I want you to perk up and listen. How close you are to God depends solely on you. Nobody else. It's not up to your life group leader. It's not up to your pastors. It's not up to your spouse. It's up to you. You are the one who determines how intimate you will be with the Almighty. And the Almighty today is calling to some of us and saying, how about it? It's time we lived a different life than we're living right now. And it's up to you to respond and make the move towards God.
and he will respond to you. There's the story of the prodigal son. When the father saw him coming towards him a long ways off, what did the father do? He ran to him. When the father sees me take a step towards him, he comes running to me and throws his everlasting arms around me and says, I love you so much. I'm so glad you're back. When you live in intimacy with the Almighty, his right hand shall uphold you. His power and his strength, in verse 8, will help sustain you in all of your life. What's the expectation of the parched soul? The enemy is going to be defeated is the first thing. Look at verse 9. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be apportioned to the jackals. Hey, friends, the enemy is going to be defeated. God would come to his aid so that things that bother you or that person that's bothering you don't worry. God's got it. You focus on God. Let God take care of the problem. And then what's going to happen? There will be rejoicing once again. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. Hey, friend, I don't know what you're facing in life today. All of this junk going on politically, all of the junk with inflation and prices out of control, and people you can't tell who's telling the truth and who's lying, guess what? All of this is going to end someday, and we're going to be in heaven with Jesus, and there's going to be incredible rejoicing. But in the midst of it, Get your eyes off all the garbage and get them on Jesus. Start rejoicing again. Draw close to him. And guess what? Your life is going to have a radical perspective change. And you're going to be able to face it through all the junk we're facing today. So let me give you a test for spiritual health today before we leave. Could I please? I always hate it when preachers do that. I'm going to do it anyhow, whether you want me to or not. I'm just going to give it to you. So here's your test. Is your soul thirsty for God today? To have a spiritual thirst for the Almighty. Saying, God, I want some more of you. I don't want just a little bit of you. I want all of you. As much as I can fit into me, I want you, God. Second test is this. Is your soul satisfied with God? Or is your soul satisfied with all the things God gives you? Have you crossed over that line where it's more about God than it is about all the stuff? And here's the third test. Does your soul cling to God? Are you hanging on for dear life to the Almighty and saying, I am not letting you go? Remember, remember when Jacob was wrestling with that pre-incarnate Christ back in, the, back in Israel? And they're wrestling all night. And Jesus said to him, hey, let me go. What does he do? Okay. Are you kidding? He grabs harder and he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. 
And I think God in heaven is waiting for some of us in this room today to go, God, I'm not letting you go. I'm hanging on with everything I got. To my God, who is the Almighty, and I'll praise him as long as I live. So are you in a spiritual desert this morning? And let's take the cure for the parched soul. A question to, I didn't put this on, I don't think in the questions for the life group, but a great question for the life group tonight is, what will you do to improve your spiritual health? What steps can we take to make sure we're healthier spiritually? And then this last big, big thing. Is your life right with God through a relationship with Jesus Christ? See, you can't have all of this until you admit to God that he is God and you're a sinner before him and ask for his forgiveness in your life as you accept what we did earlier, a recognition of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And today, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, man, my prayer is this, that you would come down front here. We're going to have some people down here, and they would be so happy to introduce you to Jesus Christ. And you can walk out of those doors a changed person who knows the Almighty. And you can say with the psalmist, oh God, you are my God. This morning, maybe you've been parched. Maybe you're away. You need to come back home, would you, today? Just come pray with some people or just pray by yourself. And let's leave as people satisfied with the Almighty. Could we please? Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, hear our prayers around this auditorium today. May the the God of heaven help us because we need to live in intimacy with you. God, please touch our souls touch our inmost being. And God, for the ones who don't know you, that today they would come to know Jesus. Please, Father, work in their hearts. For those who are wandering away from you today, draw them back to yourself. For those of us who are just going through life nonchalantly, God, help us to say no more of this. I'm going after God. I'm going hard after him. Help us, bless us, give us a great week. And God, may we look for you at every opportunity and see what you're doing. Lead us, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, have a great week.